Welcome to Hungry Authors, the show for aspiring authors who will stop at nothing to accomplish their writing and publishing dreams. We're your hosts, Liz and Ariel, and we're honored that you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce Mitch Weathers, who is a dear, dear friend of mine. He has been a mentor in many ways, and I also had the honor of helping him with his book proposal for his um, forthcoming book, which actually, as of the date of this podcast, it's already going to be out. And that book is called Executive Functions for Every Classroom, Grades 3 through 12, Creating Safe and Predictable Learning Environments. So Mitch, welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. You have been a behind the scenes person involved in this for a long time, even though you know people didn't know it. Um, so it's exciting to finally get to chat with you here live for everyone to hear. I'm excited to be here. I love this podcast, so it's fun for me to, to be a guest. Oh, good. Well, we're super excited to have you. So um, your book, we should clarify, is for educators. It's for teachers. So mm-hmm. tell us more about your background in education and kind of what what led you to this book. Yeah, good question. I'm a teacher. Historically, I've been teaching high school for over 20 years. Um, and early on in my career, like basically at the beginning, it became very clear to me that um, my job was less about content and curriculum and testing Not that all of that's not important in how we measure schools and what we're teaching, um, but that there was something that nobody talked about in graduate school and my credential program that really moved the needle for learners. And uh, I got, I just became kind of obsessed with that. Like what, what is going on? And I, when I started teaching, I'm, um, I'm based and live in California and we have quite a few multi-language learners in public schools and Um, That was the student population I was working with. And it just became clear, like I can have the most engaging lessons. And of course, I really know my content and I'm a science teacher. So it's fun, right? We can go outside. We can blow things up. We can have dissections. I mean, we can, I can engage students, but if you're not developing as a learner, what's all of this for? And I really wanted to figure out that one question, like what has the greatest impact on student success? And that led me kind of down a long journey that I'm still very much on. I developed a program um, just in my classroom, had no intention of sharing it. Um, And I didn't have the words or the language for it then. Um, But basically, it's a way for students to develop their executive functioning skills. And back then, it was like, oh, you just, you don't know how to do school. And we got to get to work on that. Like, you're totally capable. And there's a you know, I talk a lot about this in the book, but most of my students, their kind of lived schooling experience was through a deficit lens as opposed to an asset lens. And it's like, oh, you're, you bring so much to this classroom and this learning environment. It just may not look like kind of the mainstream power majority assets. And so how do we, how do we change that narrative and help you develop your capacity as a learner? And, um, that sense of agency. So now I know it's these, I'm absolutely convinced that it's, it's not, again, it's not to say that what we teach is not important. It is, but it's just the order of operations. It's, it's secondary and this works primary. That all led to me developing this program called Organized Binder. And, you know, I, I've 
started that, you know, close to 20 years ago now. And we work with schools and districts around the country and internationally. And all along, <laughs> friends and colleagues are like, you should write this down. I'm like, I'm not going to write this down. I want to do the work. I'm, you know, I give me the mic. I'll give the, the talk. But um, it wasn't until I met you, Ariel, that I think you kind of forced me or convinced me like, you have to do this and I'm going to help you. It's like, I don't know what, why you're so convincing, but here we are, you know, what, two years later and the book's yeah. coming out a month, <laughs> a month and a half. So I'm incredibly grateful for you, but that's kind of the, the journey. I didn't, I'll be honest with anybody listening. I didn't, there's, there's nothing in the book that I haven't said for many years, but it was really helpful to flesh out those ideas. The writing process is, is so much different than, you know, the speaking training, keynoting process. And that was a, that was a new experience for me and one that I, I really enjoyed. So, yeah, I think you are like many authors and probably many people listening when we met and you, you know, I immediately saw like, this is a great book idea. You should definitely jump on this. And you've got, you know, the, the consulting to back it up and the credibility and you've, you know, it works so well and you have all these incredible stories and, you know, you just kind of had, you had all of the speaking charisma going on. And I was like, if people would love to buy a book on this, mm. um, but you felt like many, you know, as many authors do before they know they're going to be authors. And you were like, I don't think I can write a book. And we yeah. had a, a lot of conversations about that where you're like, I'm, I'm a speaker, not a writer. And it was, yeah, it was a journey, but I'm super glad that we're here. Oh, me too. Yeah. I, I say I enjoyed it. I say that that's all hindsight for anybody listening. I, I expected to get into some kind of like writer's flow state, right? When you're not a writer, you don't fashion yourself a, an author or a writer. Um, you kind of look at people that are, even if they're like consistent with their newsletter or write blog posts, you're like, oh, wow. You know, and I, I don't know if I ever got into that state. And so it was, it was more about, and I hope we get to talk about this, my, my plan and kind of the map that I had, and then me just blocking time on my calendar. So I, once I committed, right, you know, Ariel and I, we were having these conversations and then right away, I mean, the, I think it was the first, um, proposal I sent Corwin jumped on it and I signed a contract and I was like uh okay I guess this is happening and I had to figure out on on my own like so now I am a hungry author like I have to get this this done I'm in how am I going to find the time because I I do have this company and employee you know this whole thing that I I do every day and I I had to what what, what my process was there were certain days of the week I just couldn't I couldn't block off big chunks of time just for set meetings and things, but at least three days a week. And sometimes four, I call them my power hours. Cause I'm also somebody like, maybe it's like a teacher brain, but like five, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to be up at 10 o'clock at night, creatively writing once I put the kids to bed and all of that. Right. So it had to be that like eight to 11 and I would go to my office and I would open up my computer and I would turn both phones off. Um, I would, you know, there was no, no notifications and I would just write and it was so hard because I'd just be like, it was more like pulling teeth than like a writer's flow state. 
but I just, you know, like anything in life, you just show up and do it the next day and do it the next day. And, and here we are. So that was my, that was my journey for sure. So can you give us like a quick overview of what executive functions are? Just because I think a lot of the people in our audience, they, they're not in the academic or, you know, educational community probably. So, I mean, I mean, this is like probably a huge bulk of your book, but can you give us like a quick primer on what that term even means? Right. No, that's a great question and a great place to start. And it, it not just non-educators, that conversation comes up. I was giving a talk um, last week in Arizona to like director level people at a county office. And even then they started, they were like, can you define, like I hear this term all the time and I think I know what it is. Um, can you describe it? And so everyone, I think it's, we've all heard these terms and I, I'll back up and say, you know, the word studentness I use in the book, not mine coined by a school uh, that uses organized binder. And I, adopted it all these years because it really is in the way I would explain it to my students right now. It's like, oh, this is all the stuff you need to be able to do to be successful with whatever I'm trying to teach you or whatever class or grade level you're in. And it's interestingly, these these skills and habits have historically never been taught. And we kind of just hope through your lived experience and through life that you pick them up. And we know now you know, very clearly that skills formally learned by students on their own, we have to teach them, right? And the other nuance to this, and I'll, I'll get to the definition, Liz, in just a moment, but I'm also absolutely convinced that one of the reasons is they're not really taught. You, They're best learned when I see them modeled and I get practice with them, using them, employing them, but within the context of what I'm learning. So if we're going to keep it in that education lens and my sphere of influence as a teacher, I have to practice goal setting and organizational skills and time management and all these things, but within that context, right? Because as a learner too, we're all, you know, it's all individualized. So for example, goal setting, the goals that I might set in, in my science class could be very different than I set in my English class, just based on me as a as a person and a learner. So executive functioning skills um, are basically a set of skills, and that's really an umbrella, uh, umbrella term, right? We can you can look at like different kind of verticals under that. And what I've tried to do in the book, and in all my work with organized binders, say like let's let's niche down into a teacher's sphere of influence, and let's talk about what we can do there. Be, and then and that's not to say there's not other conversations to be had, but. It's these skills and habits that allow us to kind of juggle multiple tasks, stay focused, um, complete uh, time like time management, make a plan and see it through to completion. So the six that I talk about routinely, through, they map out the whole book um, is working memory, and I can talk about that one if you'd like because it's it's kind of a little bit more elusive than the others. Time and task management, like how do I keep a calendar? Nobody teaches anybody that. Most of the time, when I ask a question in a, if I'm giving a talk, on rare occasion, a, an adult will raise their hand and say like, yeah, somebody, my mom taught me and modeled for me and held me accountable for keeping a calendar. So working memory, time and task management, organizational skills, which of course are foundational in education, goal setting, self-regulation, and accountability. Those are the six executive functioning skills that really, you know, and it's it's not just my work, research has 
overwhelmingly shown that these lay the foundation for learning. And that one of the words I like to use, because I've seen it develop in students, if you've heard the term student agency, and that's important. There's also like a dexterity that comes with these skills where I can start to figure out how I approach what I'm learning because I, I have some I'm beginning to understand how I learn and how I know when I'm not there yet. And so there's a dexterity that um, students develop. Yeah, that's great. So aside from Ariel's convincing, why did you decide or how did you decide to go with traditional publishing? You know, these days there's a lot of different ways to publish a book and that are, you know, are all great in their own ways. Um, and, and you landed at Corbin, which is an educational publisher. Um, but why, um, like why, why traditional publishing? Um, well, first and foremost, Ariel was and is my guide in all things writing this book. Um, so a big part of that was conversations that we had and she didn't say one or the other, but she just pros and cons, like a lot of your podcasts and, and newsletters and it's not one or the other, but for me, um, there, there was a few things. So I, I do, I've been doing work as an, you know, we like to call ourselves edupreneurs. Like I have a company in education that is well-founded. It's been around a long time. And, you know, we work with all these, these schools and districts and counties and colleges already. So um, there's something to be said for having a traditional publisher behind you in, in my industry. And I, that's kind of, I think the, the main decision Yeah. and beyond having no idea what I was doing, <laughs> it was like, okay, I'm going to write this. And then I'm going to publish it. And like, I, you know, I, and, and I get it. I've since now I've talked to people who've done that and their books sold millions of copies and they self-published and it, it was good for them. Right. Um, they got the word out, which is all I really care about. But I just felt like this first time, and and I don't know if there'll be another, but certainly this first time I wanted the the guidance and the comfort of having someone on my team to continue just as it did with Ariel from the inception of the idea. Yeah, I like that answer too, because one of the things that comes up that's um, not as fun to talk about because you can like debate how true it should be or not, but that there is still a certain amount of just clout and credibility that comes with traditional publishing. Now, again, like that might not right. be like good, you know, like because there are brilliant people who sell millions of copies of books that are self or hybrid published, but because this is one of the oldest industries in the entire world, there's a little bit of a, of a gatekeeping, some extra hoops you have to jump through. If you're in an industry like education or academia or something that comes with perhaps where, where as an author, you might benefit from a little bit more of, you know, some, I don't know, credibility clout behind you, then yeah, like that might be another reason to go traditional publishing. Cause there is, you know, I mean, that's, I think that contributed to Ariel's and my reason for doing that is there's just you know for better or worse it is still seen as um more credible yeah Mitch, i also think like 
so what people might not realize too is with organized binder, this program, you actually sell a physical binder. Like there's a, there's a physical component to the program. And that's how you teach these executive functioning skills is by modeling and, and kind of giving students like, here's a, here's a, a method of organization that you can start with. And there's a physical binder that goes with it to teach you how to implement and, you know, and learn these skills, but right. you basically had to self-publish that binder, right? Like, and you've iterated, right. you, we've talked before about the, right. all the printing challenges you've had and finding like ethical printers and, you know, going through just the hoops of like finding good vendors for things and, you know, figuring out the design and the functionality and all that stuff. Like, you know, better than most the mm -hmm. amount of back-end work that goes behind producing something of that level. And I don't know if this was part of your, your thinking, your thought process, but I can imagine it also feels really nice to be like, oh, cool. I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I have a publisher who can, who's going to take care of all of that. And it's going to be a really high quality product. And it's not something that I have to have a lot of headaches about worrying how it's going to happen. Yeah. You, I, yeah, I, you nailed that on the head. I've, I've, been I, that's I never thought about it that way. Or I have self-published yeah. binder, which is I mean that when I talk about the you know big part of the book is the keys, the three keys for teaching executive functions. It's clarity, modeling, and routine. Well, having that physical color-coded binder, it's all about modeling. And yeah, I've had to. I mean, gosh, years of like you said, figuring out like our stuffs. I wanted it to be FFC certified, but durable and you know, no bad plastics and vinyls and our stuff that's going to end up in the landfill and that we now know are toxic for kids in class, like all that stuff I had to figure out. So there was, maybe that was subconscious, like I'm not going to do this with the book. Um, and I did, I really needed the, I needed the guidance and the tutorials and the deadlines and all of those things put on me to, to try to to figure out. And it was, you know, for somebody who's listening, who, you know, you're, you, you want this, it's, it would have been much harder to put those deadlines on myself, especially once the first draft is in and it comes back. Those timelines were much quicker than I realized. Um, and I was putting in some long hours trying to meet those deadlines and I'm grateful for it because if it was just on me, I might be like, well, I'll push it out. You know, I'm not going to work six hours a day on our family vacation because I'll do it when I get back. But I didn't have that choice. I had to work in the morning and hang out with the family. So that's what happened this past summer. And but to meet those deadlines. So, yeah, I think that might have been been some of it. But it is. I think there's there's pros and cons. But I did. I wanted that clout. If that's what it is, I wanted. Um, the guidance mm -hmm. and. Yeah, I'm happy I went this way. Yeah. The folks at Corwin have been wonderful and supportive and you know, talk about imposter syndrome. That was me the whole time. And they were kind of, they were like my therapists almost like it's you you have the Ariel being the the chief therapist for me, but um they were just very supportive. So it was nice. That's awesome. Um okay, so speaking of writing the book, it's you're listening to this in January. It is mapping month at Hungry Authors. And if you're not, don't turn it off. There's still a lot of good value coming up. But um, okay, so did you have a book map 
for your book. And if you did, tell us how helpful that was, how it came about. Just talk to us about mapping, outlining, kind of the whole process before you actually sat down and started writing whole sentences. Right. Okay. Anybody listening, put your pencil down and stop writing if you don't have a map. I don't care what you're writing. If you don't have a book map, just stop and get with these two. And I know they have courses and stuff that well, I don't even know what it is, but if you don't have a book map, get the Hungry Authors People book mapping course or whatever you're offering. I, I know it's the month of January. And I really mean that if you're listening, this is not some plug, but it is a plug. You know, I'm telling you, there is absolutely no point Unless you're some savant and you live in a writer's flow state and you can somehow figure out where you want to go, there is no point in trying to write a book, short or long, if you don't have a book map. And the Hungry Authors team are genius book mappers. If this book mapping process sounds like exactly what you need to finally write your nonfiction book, you're in luck. We've got a cohort course running in February to teach you the hidden process behind all of your favorite nonfiction books. Book mapping is the invisible matrix that makes books work. We're going to teach you how to see it and how to replicate it for your own book. In four 90-minute live sessions with two Q&As, we'll help you nail your big idea, decide the right genre, map your book's transformation, and outline your entire book chapter by chapter. We've also got a library of sample book maps of best-selling nonfiction books to show you exactly how it's done. By the end of our four weeks together, you'll have a plan to finally write your book. Go to mapyourbook.com to learn more and sign up to join us in February. And I didn't know that with my friend Ariel. Um, we were meeting and she, like I said, forced me into this. It's all her fault. But she would sit there on Zoom, right? We're on either side of the country and we would just get together. At first, it was like random coincidence because we were part of the same group and you had like, I think we called them success partners and we would, okay, well, guess we're partners and we'll get together and we became fast friends. And she was like, you need to do this. Tell me about it. And for everybody listening, the book map process, for me, it wasn't difficult. It just took time, right? I knew what I wanted to say. And she would just, I didn't even know Liz, that she was mapping out the book. This is the truth. She was just asking me about it. Jesus, and she'd be sitting there mapper. kind of like me, you know, you know, when you're on Zoom, someone gets an email and they check it, or you know, it's cool, we're still engaged. And then I don't know, a few sessions. And again, we were meeting routinely anyway to kind of support each other in projects and whatnot. And then one of the times she just sent me this map um, in this program called Mind stir or something i forget oh yeah My doesn't matter mm -hmm. and she's like here's your book go write it and i was like <laughs> what and here's the the backstory like i really mean it over the years people have been like you need to write this down i i don't know if i ever told you this ariel i probably did but liz i i have like two or three drafts from the last 15 years of when i okay, gotta do this and Again, I know what I wanted to say. I've said it for years and I'm, it works. Like Ariel was saying, I can, I'm not like making it, this up, right? I would just get lost. I mean, I have like hundreds of pages of writing and I'm like, this is really good stuff, but it just, it, you just lose your way. So um, without a book map, don't write. 
it's just not going to work out. I, I'm, I'm, and I tell now all of my friends and I'm like, you need to write a book, but not yet. You have to map it out. Yeah. And then you, you, you know, and it wasn't that, you know, a book map, if you haven't seen one for a listener, it's not like it's done for you. It's just that guide. Like, okay, I'm writing this chapter the next three weeks. And it just, it, it's just what it is. It's a map. And there is absolutely no way I'd be talking to you right now, or I would have written this book had it not been for Ariel Hungry Authors book mapping process. It's, it's, it's foundational. It's, it's a, it's a game changer. That's awesome. Well, and sometimes we find, I mean, people find it hard to write a book when they don't know what they're going to say, or they don't know if they have enough to say, but to your point, sometimes subject matter experts who have a lot to say and have been saying it in other forms for years Mm. can find it equally hard because honestly, like you said, getting lost in it, like having a lot to say is its own problem in and of itself like or you know organizing it knowing where to start where to end what to leave out what to include yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah and and the book map it, it doesn't um it or I should speak for me it didn't keep me from writing too much it it cuz I did I remember I did the preface or I think the introduction in the first chapter and then the whatever one chapter is when I really get into the first so the whole book is mapped around this daily learning routine. And by virtue of engaging in or participating in this predictable learning routine, students get practiced with these skills and they're constantly seeing them modeled, hence the binder and everything, right? So there's no curriculum. There's the, It's just routine. And we know that more, uh, you know, a predictable routine, a more predict- predictable learning environment, um, create, it's safer. And depending on my lived experience outside of school um, that may or may not be predictable, those, those nuances can have a significant impact on students. So I got to that chapter and I was like, I got a lot to say and I do. And I sent it to Arrow when I got done and she was like, Oh, and it was that, that, Oh, like, Holy smokes, that's a long chapter. And she immediately, when we talked and it was like, that's definitely two chapters because you did your beginning in your concluding routine. But I say that to say, yeah, I was over, not overriding. I just had a lot to say. And of course that was part of the process with Corwin where they were pulling things out and shortening this, but I would have gotten lost had that map not been there, even though we adjusted it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think even what what I was doing as I was listening to you, you know, sharing all of these great stories and, you know, explaining this amazing framework that you have and this daily learning routine is, you know, and this is why Liz and I call a book map. It's like, it's the hidden matrix behind books. And so I was immediately seeing, oh, this is how these things fit together. And you actually had an interesting challenge because you kind of almost have two things going on. And we felt some tension as we were mapping out your book between should the table of contents revolve around these six um, skills or should it revolve around and follow this like daily learning routine? Because there were some you know, not every skill comes into play all the time. There were some unique challenges that we faced 
in the organization of the book. And so we had to kind of work through a little bit of tension there and make some changes even after you had started writing, because we realized some things weren't working, but still having that plan from the beginning, I think helped you kind of dive into the writing and it is flexible and it's meant to kind of change and evolve as you go. And because you discover things as you're learning, I think you like, that was very much the the process for you. Would you, would you agree? Absolutely. And had, and that's what I, you know, in responding to your question, Liz, that's more articulate Ariel, that the map allowed for, for that kind of fluid state a little bit, um, as opposed to just getting lost in the weeds, right? Because those were the complications that I think, at least for me, but I would imagine any book has, right? Where you're, you can, you, you do have to adjust things. And, and like anything in life, once you start down that path, it illuminates things that you didn't see before you, you started. Um, and you're right. I re- we went kind of round and round and then made some adjustments that really felt right. And then when I sent my first manuscript to Corwin, they took it and com- like reworked it in ways that it came back to me. And I was like, ah, now I'm back. I'm totally in the weeds again but it was Corwin and you're like, well, I, I, do I just default to that? So Ariel and I got back and had a conversation and she kind of helped. We went back to the map and I was like, no, 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 this makes more sense. It's it's. And so again, that would have been another place that, and that's not saying anything negative about Corwin and, and the editorial team that would, I've been lucky enough to work with, but it allowed for that conversation between kind of all of us, right, Ariel, at that point, but what you and I kept doing is coming back to like, no, 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 let's, let's look at this again, this map right. and why it makes sense. So it, it literally saved it. Yeah. I mean, it, it gave us that, you know, meta level perspective on the book so that we could, you know, experiment with, you know, Corwin had some ideas around like, well, what if we move this chapter here? What if we break it into parts like this? And so we were able to play with it, with the map and say like, okay, well, let's, Let's see, what if we did do that? How would that impact the rest of the organization of the book? Right. And you're right. I mean, it it allowed us to say, actually, no, like this organization is better than that one for these reasons. And and we had something to show them to kind of prove it. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And one other piece of that is I actually, I, of course, huddled with Ariel again and so we had book mapped, but I sent it to a few people who really know my work, who um, our writers and, and avid readers themselves. And they took a pass through and they were like, this is, this doesn't speak to your work because with the driving words, you know, when I'm working with schools, a lot of it is coherency. These things are together, but it's about clarity. It's about simplicity, like that kind of thing. And they're like, I'm not, I'm not feeling or seeing that in this current iteration. So again, it was that it was the map. Anybody listening, I'm going to keep saying it. You have to map your book and you can't do it on your own. Right. I've already told multiple friends that are aspiring authors. You, you, there's something to be said for, you can, you can toil away on your own and you certainly can. And you might again, be someone who writes something creative and genius and and the world needs it. Um, The way I like to look at it is are you willing to invest in yourself? Because whatever you do, whatever project you're doing, there's, you know, and we'll just stay with the book process. 
there's going to be different types of investment. Of course, there's investment in time, but are you willing to also make a, a financial investment in yourself and in the project? And, and I think it's, it's needed and where you two are coming in. And it's why I told you, I love your podcast. I'd love your newsletters because it's, it's somebody stepping into that space and not just saying, here's stuff you need to do, right? It's, this is how we can help you get there. And it's not, you know, it, it, again, it's not, you're not writing the book for anybody. I mean, you could do that. You can ghostwrite, but um, it's just so, it's so important. And I think you're both, you're, you're filling a, a need, a niche that at least to my knowledge, doesn't, doesn't really exist for us aspiring authors. Thanks. Well, Thank and you. we tell people too, that like, you know, a lot of people are scared to sit down and start writing the draft and you know we always talk about like the the bad first draft to keep it like pg on this podcast you know um you know like whatever iteration one is always bad and that's true i guess that like sentences might not be the prettiest that they can be but if you have a book map it won't be that bad like you know if you have a book map and you have a plan even if you do feel like you're just sitting that down sort of word vomiting up your thoughts, but you're still going in this way that you'd set out intentionally, it will not be that bad. It will be a usable, workable first draft because it was done with intention and you know the overall transformation and you know what's going in each chapter. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it, it. another thing maps do hopefully is um, give you confidence to start that yes you might be your your first draft is certainly going to be the worst draft but if you have a map it won't be that bad you know yeah. it's going yeah. to be usable and workable yeah that's yeah. the first pancake right that's the whole same <laughs> yeah. first pancake no matter how many times you've made pancakes you never get the first one just like all that's the other right it's the, the first calibration pancake. you gotta calibrate you know yeah. <laughs> i've tried you know i like Start the uh, you know stove like fifteen minutes. I try to like re still first pancake, but if you know that, like you're saying, if you have that map and you that's part of a you know it's a vulnerable process. You know um, when I've sent and it was still a draft in in progress to Patrice Bain who did the wrote the foreword for my book, who I have like immense respect for as an educator and an author and, and she's just you know I hold her up in my mind and she was you know of course part of my team but um it was so great because she's she's now authored three books co-authored uh one of them but she said um when she sent the forward back she said uh I am feeling how I think you felt when you sent me your draft of your book like I'm, I'm, there's a vulnerability, like here's the forward. I hope you like it. And of course I did. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But, you know, there's a vulnerability there. And if you can just have that map and be like, well, but again, that's the commitment. This is what I'm doing. And that's another thing, right? Yeah. You're not going to have your, you're not going to write your book without a map. I think that's my opinion. And without deadlines, you've got to get through the first pancake and then you come back to it. I took a whole month off from my book. And that was Ariel's suggestion as well. Like just send it in and then it, just forget about it. And I needed that. I needed to get away from that first draft and then come back to it. And then the work really began, you know, that second, third, fourth. And 
by the way, just um, yesterday, I sent the it's final final went to Corwin yesterday. So, yay! Oh, congratulations! <laughs> That's awesome. So, has there been anything really surprising to you about the process of traditional publishing? Because, like we said, you have done a lot of self-publishing, even though you may not have even realized it at the time, that's what you were doing, but has there been anything surprising in the traditional publishing process? Surprising. Um, having a team assigned to you that you, you don't know these people. And so you are kind of stepping into, you know, that vulnerable space, at least for me, I should say that, you know, here's something I put together. Here's, here's 190 pages I wrote. I hope you like it. And the whole idea is you're going to tear it all apart and we're going to make it the second pancake. Like, and that's going to take this back and forth. So I think what was surprising for me was how, um, I really had to, and, and I think it wasn't, necessarily hard for me, but there was a humility to that process of, of some of the stories I had shared. And this is all very specific to my, what I wrote about, maybe not everyone would have this experience, but I'm so thankful for the team at Corwin because they came back with some like serious feedback and not just like editorial, like, Hey, we should move this story here. And that that stuff that I will say is surprising. And that even happened in the, the mapping process that the way certain people can hear or see your map or see your book and be like four chapters in and, and come across a, a vignette or a story and be like, that should really be here in chapter two, right after that. And I'm like, you're totally right. Wow. I would have never, I could have written this book 10 times over and I wouldn't have made that process. So it takes a village. It took the team. And I was surprised by that all along. Like this should really be here, you you know, and so that moving around, but I was also shocked and um, so grateful, immensely grateful for the tough feedback I got. Um, And it called into question some of like my stories and my things that I did as a teacher that I was talking about. And I wrote about them in the book about, okay, I need to, I'm encouraging my readers to step into kind of this vulnerable space around bias and racism and equity and inclusion. And I'm telling stories that I thought really made the point and not made up stories like from my practice or my time working with schools with Organized Binder. And they, they had some really tough feedback that was so good. It was hard. But it was one of those where I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. And I rewrote those whole sections through that lens. And I think it made made it for a much better book. So again, that was my process. And I needed that. Someone, the self-publishing side still have a map. And I don't know what the team aspect of that, but, you know, I signed on with them. And in a lot of ways, it's saying I I need to listen. And they were also very good about saying, you don't have to accept all of this. So that was the time part. It's like you had to read. I mean, some of each page could have 50 comments or like things. Like, and if, do I really want that comma there? I had to like approve. And I was like, oh, that was the the vacation that wasn't a vacation for me. Because it was like, well, I got to meet this deadline. I'm going to read this again. And I got into the book and it was 
small edits and then larger things that I had to. And some I said, no, I, I, I'm going to push back on this. And we would go back and forth, but it made, I think for a really good book. So. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, one of the benefits to traditional publishing for a lot of people is that you do have this team of people who are vetting your work. And especially, you know, I think, I think Corwin, um, and probably more academic publishers, there is an even higher standard and an even, you know, it's even more rigorous than mm. maybe um, more commercial publishers. But regardless, you have these other people who literally read every single word you are writing and are making sure that, you know, what you're saying is accurate and good. And they're checking, you know, your biases and assumptions as well. And yeah, that can be really hard for a lot of authors. Um, but it's, you know, that it's going to make the book better. So, and I, you know, I was, I I just stepped into that, like, okay, I need this, but I also don't, don't let the imposter syndrome not also stand up when you need to like, Hey, this is no, this is what I want to do. Like I, I, I call some programs out in my book and, and at first I was like, I'm like, you know, I need to, I need to be honest about this. Like I, I, they have merit in some ways, but not in the ways that educators think. And so there was, there was that, that back and forth, but and Corwin did tell me, you know, a lot of authors don't want to hear any feedback, right? They just, it's like, this is my book. I know what I want to say. And I, I thought, well, wow, then that you should self-publish then because why have a team and go through all this and just like not be open to the feedback, um, whether you've written one or 10 books, I think that that back and forth is like you're saying, it's again, not right or wrong. It's just part of the process if you're not self-publishing. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, you are now in launch mode. (laughs) Yeah. So can you briefly share, like, first of all, where can people find out more about you, Organized Binder and your book, and then tell people about the summit that you're doing. Yeah. So, uh, of course you can learn more about, uh, all things, executive functioning skills, uh, organizedbinder.com. Pretty simple. If you want to explore the book, um, just go to organizedbinder.com slash book, um, or just go to the website and there's a tab that says book and you can read some of the endorsements and, and look at it. Um, there you can pre-order now, um, through us and through Corwin, I think. I think you can even pre-order on Amazon. And Amazon, go, yeah. If you're listening, go to Organized Binder and check it out. That would be fun. Um, <laughs> so yeah, in launch mode, part of my launch mode and part of the whole plan, you know, or or getting the word out was going to all of these who people who I now call friends um, that have been partners with Organized Binder, whether that be a school or a district or county or whatever, Um and one part of the launch for us is um, book studies with all of these folks through the spring. Mm-hmm. So that's really fun. Um, and I decided, and Ariel, you're a part of this, anybody who really was on my team um, and helped me with this program or writing this book, um, which I kind of call a program, um, that I would host a summit and it's happening January 20th. It starts at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Um, And the reason for that is it's two hours and it's quite the lineup. 
and it's quite um, diverse and eclectic. And what I asked, and Ariel knows this, I asked, this is everyone who endorsed my book or wrote the foreword and helped me. If, you know, here we are in education, you know, education, as we all know, did not escape the influences of the pandemic. And maybe it was felt more broadly than anywhere else, right? And we're really starting to see that now. And it's so hard to believe, but March 24, it'll been four years already since everything shut down, right? And so that's coming to roost in classrooms all around the world. And in education, there's a there's a rhythm to the school year. And I'll tell you right now, October is one of the hardest months for any educator. And, and this is in, I'm speaking in the U.S. context, um, because our school year typically runs from July, August to uh, May or June. October is rough. And then late January, February, they're just, it's a grind, right? And, you, you know, you come out of summer break and you kind of have like, a three-day weekend, and then you don't have anything like break-wise in a traditional schedule until the, the fall break or the Thanksgiving break. Then you have your winter break, and you're in it until like three-day weekends around President's Day, but you're not to like spring break. It's just a grind. And I thought, I went to everybody and said, hey, you have 10 minutes. What if you had educators in a room, and we wanted them to thrive? So it's called the Thriving Educator Summit. 2024, um, what would you share? And that's the only guidelines I gave all of these friends and colleagues. Um, and I'm really excited because the other part of it is if you're listening, show up to this because even if you're not a teacher, um, one, because Ariel is going to give an amazing talk. And the, the whole part of it is saying um, we can talk about ideas, but my work at Organized Binder has always, it's always been about practice. Like, theory, research, ideas, what's that mean tomorrow in the classroom? Because if you can't translate that for me, right, as a teacher, I don't have time. I just don't have time to incorporate it most of the time. And that's true of anything we're kind of going after, I think. So it's going to be like, here's the idea. But if you want to write a book, go to Ariel's speaker booth. Each each You can go to that homepage, thrivingeducators.com, and you'll see the keynotes and scroll down to the speakers. You click on them, there's a booth, you can learn more. And so what I want to invite educators or anybody to, it's free, totally free. Um, and of course, the inherent to all this is getting the word out about my book, right? People are going to come and hear about it. I'm not a speaker, I'm just a host. But there's going to be that practice thing. And I'm so excited for yours, Ariel, because how many educators have a book they need to write? It needs to come into the world. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Mitch, again, for being on today. We're super excited for you and your book and um, good luck with everything as launch happens. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're a hungry author and you want to learn more about our community and courses, head over to hungryauthors.com. Remember, you have a story and a message worth sharing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Thank you.